This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio. Who better to fill those than the smartest man in Canada? I don't know if that title still holds. I'm holding it still for you. Well, Jeff Heck did a great job all last season of reminding me daily how many years ago that was now. <laughs> that voice, of course, Pete Diakowski, former Ticat, former Saskatchewan Rough Rider, former for about 18 seconds Toronto Argonaut, though, I think. Did you try to forget that part of the career? I, I can't even remember that. The <laughs> Toronto Who Not? Exactly. And next to Pete, a special guest he has brought in with him, Louise, who is... A co-host. Louise, say hello. Hello. (laughs) Louise is Pete's daughter, although you are expecting another child, I understand. Is that public? Well, it is now. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's (laughs) it's out there. And Well, it's not out there yet. It's out there uh, end of (laughs) August. Excellent. You are you are going to be a busy man. Oh yeah, growing family, staying uh, staying active. I like to say right now I'm gainfully unemployed. Well, what are you doing with yourself these days? Well, I'm staying busy and I'm staying in shape. I've been training as if I'm playing in any given week. I've been ready since well since I got released by the Riders, which was a little bit close to camp. They didn't do me a terrific favor. You can't fault them for trying to go younger and cheaper. That's the mo of every personnel right. staff. And I had. Uh, a few very rock-solid, encouraging maybes from around uh, around the league. Many expressions of interest. I decided to stay on the market through training camp and see if anything developed here closer to home. Nothing yet. Still sitting on some really fantastic maybes. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to uh, wait and see what develops here over the uh, over the season. Now, nobody is happy when we see a quarterback get hurt, but I couldn't help but think of you yesterday when Zach got throttled, and I thought, you know. Diakowski on the line, maybe that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, it's tough to break down any any particular <laughs> play, and I, I'm I'm hoping he da- you know bounces back because he's set to have a fantastic season. He's an incredible player, and that fresh start, that reset out there for him in Sask, I think it's going to shape up to be a really really good thing for him. But you know, he's um, hopefully uh, not too. Uh, dinged up, but those things happen early in the season, especially when you have a group that's kind of meshing. Speaking of dinged up, not playing, how long has it been since you started a season not playing football? How, how many years has it been since you were not playing when football season started? Well, I mean, <laughs> now we're going, we're back, going back, to, back to 1999. Which was what, high school or No, 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 1998, I guess, because... Uh, 99, the fall of 99, I was in grade 10. That was my first year of uh, and every year first since. Year football. And every year since, yeah. So now, however, might... I missed training camp in 2007, my first year with the Cats. Because you were still with, uh, was that with I the was, NFL? I was busy getting cut by the Saints, so okay. I missed training camp, and <laughs> yeah. I got here for halftime of the second preseason game. Your body, though, must feel great right now. I do feel fantastic. I'm not, you know what? I'm not going to lie, though. There's a lot of guys who say, you know, they're in the same situation as me, that they don't miss training camp and they're little sour grapes. I actually miss training camp. I will freely admit that I missed training camp. I really enjoy training camp. Why? Well, it's, it's like a vacation. You don't have to worry about anything. You get, there's a great recreation program. You're given an agenda every single day. There's no thinking required. All you have to do is play football. It sounds like prison. No, it's, well, (laughs) you know, maybe that's saying something for prison. You get to wake up, all you can eat buffet first thing in the morning. You get to go for all you can eat buffet lunch after practice. They've got ice tubs. They've got hot tubs. All your friends are there to hang out with you, and they can't leave either. It is a lot like prison, I guess. Maybe I would really enjoy prison. <laughs> but so I did miss training camp, but I do feel fantastic. I, I, I have not felt this good for this long. Usually in May, that's when every CFL player feels fantastic, and there's a little thing in the back of your head saying, this is not going to last. Enjoy it while you can. And now I still feel like that. How many days into training camp generally is it when you start to say, yeah, I remember now what it feels like to hurt? Uh, two. Two? Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first day you're all fresh and going good. And then second day is okay maybe. And the third day is when the soreness really sets in. And what's soreness mean? I mean, we know what soreness is, but for a football player, what is soreness? It's, say you haven't done lunges in about two months and then you do 300 lunges. That's how your legs feel after okay. a couple of days of training camp. All right. And that's your whole body, though? That's your whole body, yeah, all over. And does it stay that way right through the season then, or does it ever release? You know, actually, no, no, no. The f- so here's how training camp goes. So you come in, you feel fantastic. Then the first two days, you get beat up. By day three, you, you feel like you've been hit by a truck. And that lasts for about 
eight to 10 days. And then you develop some kind of internal whole body callus, <laughs> at which point you feel slightly less terrible. You know, it ebbs and flows, but slightly less for the rest of the season. But it's always, you wake up every morning feeling something. And my, Louise, what's the, Louise must be feeling something. Louise, would you like to add anything to this conversation? Oh, no, she's, <laughs> she's shaking her head for those of you at home who can't see what's going on here. You know what? There's a, on my staircase at home in my house here in Hamilton where I used to enjoy the world's shortest commute. There's a shiny strip about two feet tall at shoulder height along my staircase from where I lean against the wall every morning during the season and slide my body down one really? step at a time. That, that's how much... That's how much it hurts every day. Oh, yeah. Right now, I'm bouncing down two steps at a time. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Uh, as everyone knows, you play football. That is your job. That is your livelihood. And well, At I least was, I used to. Well, and will again in all likelihood, or we'll be back in the game in some way. Frankly, I'm surprised that, I mean, you haven't retired. I was going to say, I'm surprised you're not being recruited to be on that other network's panel well, or something. A, I've made a point to keep myself available here because I feel like I've got a lot of football left in the tank. I was very pleased with how I played last year. I was healthy, well, healthy-ish, as healthy as you get. Uh, for 20 games, I didn't miss a single play. We got uh, within a minute and a half and a Ricky Ray touchdown drive of the Grey Cup. So of the Grey Cup game. You know, yes, I yes. I have a shot at it. <laughs> and that's all I want. You know, I still don't have that ring. And as long as I feel like I can play at a high level, as long as I feel like I can hold down a starting spot and contribute and be better than the next guy, then I want to stay uh, stay at it. So I just have to find a team who share my opinion. Do you know how many CFL games you've played? How many football, how many CFL games, first of all, do you know? I, I'm at, I think, 180 on the nose. Okay, and how many college games in NCAA? You know, I, I actually, LSU. I, I don't know that. I mean, I but it's like 80 for all year. of them okay, for so 32. five years. Five years, okay. But because uh, I registered in my first year, but I dressed for. Uh, you still dress when you're registering. You just don't go in the game. But you're well over 200 high level football games you've played in now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you whittle down the college games to the uh, the ones where I actually started and played, yeah, still at uh, triple digits, uh, 200 give okay. or take. So last weekend in the BC Lions game, they're playing, and all of a sudden, partway through the game, I think it was near the end, some fan decides to take off his pants except for his underwear and run on the field and basically make a goofball of himself. And Marcel Young of the BC Lions decides that, he, I guess, he feels he's either had enough or he's worried what this guy is going to do or something, and you saw the video, leveled the guy. Oh, is it? Great hit. It was a great hit. Now, you have have you ever been on the field when some idiot has run on the field before? Oh, yeah. No, I've uh, I've had quite a few run-ins with the uh, with the streakers. Some are um, some show you a little bit more than others. I was involved in an incident uh, in Edmonton where the security had this guy pinned and it was a cold day and I thought I could help by bringing him a towel to cover up with. <laughs> was he appreciative? Yeah, well, I think you. I don't think he was really noticing much of anything. The, the guards got him down pretty quick. But you know, Marcel Young, great guy, by the way. Um, and let me first preface this by saying these are my opinions as a of football course. player, not as an executive of the Players Association. It's my personal thoughts. You know, he reacted as a well-trained football player does. He's got a guy in disguise as a football player. He was wearing a jersey, crossing the line of scrimmage, and you know, instinct takes over. And it is your office, though. That's always a, say, a, a saying people use, but it's true. It is It is your workplace. Well, for the guy jumping in, I've heard he's retained a lawyer. Yep. Now, if you're running onto a football field during an active game, I've got to imagine there's a certain level of assumed risk. You know, if you are at the aquarium and you jump... <laughs> Louise is providing some sound effects for what the moment of impact sounded like. <laughs> If you go to the aquarium and it's shark feeding time and you jump in the tank, are you going to get upset if a shark bites you? The difference, I suppose, and it's a good analogy, the difference would be that some would argue that, that people, the lawyers, I guess this guy's lawyer would say, look, Marcel Young is not a shark. He has the ability to not hit him. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sympathetic to Marcel. I'm sympathetic to the players when this happens because I look at this and I say exactly what you did. If you step into the person's office, into their workplace, you have got to know something is possible to happen. And if a player either flinches or thinks that you're meaning to do him harm or whatever else, 
Now, now me personally, my preference has always been to let security do their job or not do their job. Is did you see the photos of the, some of the security guards? They not, could have been chasing this guy for two weeks. Not too athletic. <laughs> not well, too athletic. And it's incumbent upon the clubs in the league to make sure that wild and crazy drunken fans don't get onto the the field. I mean, at the end of the day, the players should have a right to play the game with minimal interference. Now. We had an incident in Guelph. I'm sure a lot of the listeners may remember a particular fan who rushed the field in Guelph, eluded security, did his whole lap of the field, and escaped. And I later learned that he almost completely got away with it. He got to the porta potties, hidden a porta potty, waited but didn't wait long enough, and was apprehended when he decided to leave when he thought enough. You can only stay in those hot porta potties for so long, no matter what if you're trying to escape the law or not. There's only so much a human nose can take. I I understand why he would finally say, "Fine, I'll just be arrested rather than stay in the." If you've ever been in one of those porta potties <laughs> on a hot summer day, they are not places you want to spend much time. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from six to eight only on 900 CHML. The case in BC last weekend during the BC Lions game when a a streaker, not really a, a committed streaker, he was still wearing his underpants, but he jumped on the field and ran around, and Marcel Young, BC Lions player, crushed him. And now the guy has lawyered up saying he's got a concussion and he's there's probably going to be a lawsuit. But you were saying during the break that there's something going on in BC because the best streaker ever, you were saying, was in BC. Well, I don't know if it's the best streaker ever, but certainly the streaker who showed the greatest commitment towards the integrity of streaking <laughs> was at BC Place. Not only was he not wearing a stitch of clothing, there wasn't a hair on his body. <laughs> and we got a good look. <laughs> he's in really good shape, too. What? And you know, it, he's took while, it took a while to get him down. Maybe he's a cyclist. <laughs> you know, they do the shaving thing to make sure they don't get you any like draft or. Yeah, I guess sleek is the best sleek term. That would that sounds like it would be quite a term. But you know, uh, before the break, we were mentioning there was, a, and you were saying you were on the field. It was probably seven or eight years ago at a Labor Day game. Somebody got on the field at Tim Hortons Field. Somehow got by the crack security squadron. Well, he had a, he had a couple of accomplices. Okay. He had uh, one or two buddies hop out first, going in opposite directions, drew off the security. He came out. I was, I forget why. I was injured this game. I was in the press box. I had a really good view at it. And he came down, shoes off already, ready for climbing. And scampered right up the goalpost. Which was, a, it was a feat of gymnastic excellence. The problem was, he gets to the top of the goalpost. The and tippy top. The, and there at the t- if you can picture it, at the top of every goalpost on a football field, there are flags so the kickers can see which way the wind is blowing. These flags are attached to the top of the goalpost by a little chain. Yeah, if, if I that. know the guys who attach the flags. I'm not quite sure if that's the part of their job that they take the greatest pride. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't put my life on the line. No, but this guy grabs on to the flag and is now... That's all dangles. Dangles. That's all he's holding on to is a piece of cloth attached by a little piece of chain link to the... And afterwards, we were asking the police, because the police, of course, are now on the field. The police are now chasing this guy because he could have fallen to his death. I mean, let's be honest, he could have. And we were told that if he had fallen and been injured... Because the police were chasing him, that would have become an SIU investigation because it was a police-involved action. Shut and down the crime scene, th- move the, the cr- game to Brian Timmis. The, the game would have been shut down. The game would have been shut down and the field would have been a crime scene. Of Crime scene may be a strong way, but... And Accident they, site? Whatever. And it was like, wait a second, really? And so as much as these streaker things sound funny sometimes and they sound ridiculous, there are times when you say there are impacts. There are issues here. We saw Monica Sellish years ago, the tennis player, got stabbed in the back in the middle of a match by a guy who jumped onto the field. Maybe that's what Marcel Young was worried about. Now, the guy couldn't have had a very big knife on him because he <laughs> didn't have a lot of places to conceal it. But Well, that's true. Maybe he thought the guy had a knife. I mean, who knows what you're thinking, but again, I go back to my point is that while the guy has lawyered up and while it seems inevitable that he's going to bring a lawsuit and all the rest, I just, I look at this and I think, how, how, where is the responsibility, right? If I'm, if I'm dumb enough to jump on a field and say, you know what, I am going to run around with a bunch of guys who are hopped up on testosterone because they're in the middle of a football game and... I, didn't, I don't know, I can't remember what the exact circumstance was in the play or two before then. Because especially if you run by a player who just got low cut or got a cheap shot or something and he's snarling now, 
you know, there's all kind. Of, if you're dumb enough to run on that field, you're dumb enough to get what's coming to you. That's that's well, my thinking on it. Well, if you jump in the middle of a busy street, even if vehicles have time to notice you, I mean, you're taking on a certain level of risk if you jump in outside of a yeah. Crossing. Hopefully, you know. No, but if you, yeah, you're right. If you cross your eye, close your eyes and try and cross the highway and say, oh man, I can't believe they hit me. Well, no, you, th- there has got to be a certain level of responsibility that you take that you accept that something bad could happen. And, you know, maybe he got exactly what he's looking for. He had a great, he's had a very memorable incident now from his trip to PC Play Stadium. And, you know, I'll say this in Marshall Young's defense, he was within five yards of the line of scrimmage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, it was the five-yard rule. It was not within the five yards initially, so, so no, no fair catch rule in place. But no, I look, it, there is there are rules about, about well, not just streaking, about jumping on the field for a reason. Well, the game starts with a reminder, stay in your seat. Luis yeah. says we're getting boring. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's stay in your seat, enjoy the game, and if you are determined to make yourself the center of attention... I, you know, sometimes streakers are entertaining. They're part of the fabric of the game. It happens every so often. You don't want it to happen very often because it's disruptive, but it happens. You know, be ready to accept what comes. He's actually lucky he didn't get charged. It's true. He didn't get charged, and he did not. He was he did not receive a sobriety test, so he was simply escorted from the facility, and he took himself to a hospital. But typically, streakers are supposed to be arrested, and I would assume that they're assessed for sobriety. So I don't think he ever had that. So who's to say why he had a headache when he woke up in the morning? Are you old enough to remember Morgana? Morgana. Morgana was a was a baseball, not a streaker. She was a rather top-heavy I think she may have been a stripper, but I'm not really sure. But she would show up at baseball Whoa. games, run yeah. onto the field. Yeah, yeah, cover Louise's hate ears. That's all we're going to say. Uh, she would run onto the fully clothed, run onto baseball diamonds, and run up and like kiss the pitcher or kiss the second baseman or whatever else. And it was kind of a joke in the well, 70s. That's okay. No one gets hurt. No one got hurt. Nowadays, you'd never be able to do it. But what would happen if someone ran up to you on the field and tried to kiss you in the middle of a game? Well, Adriano Belli's done that quite a few times. <laughs> Slightly different scenario. <laughs> I'm thinking more from the crowd perspective. What would you do? Well, I'd I'd just be happy to be back on a football field. I mean, we're (laughs) anticipating me getting another job. This is fantastic. I love this scenario. You'll take all the smooching you can get (laughs) if it means being back on the field. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Back to Pete Dykowski, Hamilton's, or Canada's smartest man and former Jeopardy contestant. We'll talk less about that one probably, but... um, Bronze medalist. Bronze medalist in Jeopardy. Uh, They announced this week, Pete, that um, come October the 17th, if you wish to go to your corner dispensary and pick up a doobie or pound of doobies, whatever it is, that you will be able to go wherever you want to go and smoke marijuana freely in this country. Is this a good thing? Oh boy, yes, for all of my <laughs> marijuana smoking needs, this will be quite convenient. <laughs> now, I, I'm, I'm personally not a marijuana... Actually, as a British Columbian, it may surprise you, I've never smoked the marijuana, believe yeah. it or not. Because, you know, most Vancouverites can't... Uh, I can say that, but you know, Ross it Rebliati, is illegal. Ross Rebliati smoked your share for you. Yeah, yeah, you know, I had to share it. <laughs> uh, that make you know, a funny thing, I don't know how many times we could put two guys of a certain age into a studio together talking about marijuana and having neither of them ever having smoked one, but that's what we got today, because I've never done it either. And Louise, I'm pretty sure, hasn't. You know, it's interesting though, because your perspective now, I don't know, if has your perspective changed on this as you have now got kids and like once upon a time it was like, well, I, I'll not do it, but I don't really yeah, care who if it's cares? Live and, live and let live. You know, I, I see with marijuana, there is a tremendous potential benefit to its medicinal applications. And if you look at some of the major issues in this country, one of the greatest public health challenges is this opioid crisis. I heard recently that it's the leading cause of death in men aged 30 to 39 or some bracket like that, which is just staggering. If there's a potential for medicinal marijuana to get addicts off of that and onto something uh, slightly less damaging, then that's a potential positive. However, we've had legal medicinal marijuana for years. Yeah, that's not this. And we still have the opioid crisis. So Yeah, today, I, uh, it was funny because today I was at a store. I stopped in somewhere. And uh, it happened to be next door to a medicinal dispensary. 
And as I'm in the parking lot waiting to drive away, I'm thinking to myself, I missed the boat. This is the busiest place in the entire city. There were more people at the dispensary than will be at the Arkells tomorrow night. I mean, it was jammed. I was like, how? There's a lot of people who are obviously using medicinal marijuana, but that's not what we're talking about. This is now... The legal recreational... That anybody... Habitual use, which... I mean, it's been de facto decriminalized for ages. I mean, one was... And maybe this is just me living in my bubble, but I don't know anyone who's ever been arrested for smoking a joint at a party. Uh, no, I don't think I do either. I mean, people have been arrested for dealing and people yeah. have been arrested for grow ops. Uh, certainly we had one across the street from us. We, we saw that one, but no, not for a, a, not for an individual one. I think there's been a, you know, a fair amount of sanity around or reasonableness around enforcement of the current criminal law. So in this, it's fulfilling an election promise. Yes. Which is, um, you know, it's the, that's politics. I, I'm not a marijuana guy, so I can't uh, speak to the upsides. I have personally chosen not to smoke it because... Does it endorse it though? In a sense. Well, it does. It, 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 gives, it gives sanction to it. You know, it's... Technically illegal, so even though lots of people and many famous people freely do it and promote it, it's still illegal. Now that we've made it illegal, we've, you know, we have the government essentially promoting it, and now we're going to have government-sponsored monopolies, uh, presumably every, advertising in every province. Well, there's going to be some measure of advertising. I mean, there are, many, you know, you know, many big companies, and there's many, many billions of dollars up for grabs. And people, when you have a profit motive, will act to you know, make money on it. So we're going to have more people incentivized to promote marijuana one way or the other because it's legal and there's tons of money on the table. Well, and that's what, I mean, do you believe for a second, honestly, do you believe that the government is legalizing marijuana for the purpose that the government is saying, which is to... Uh, uh, keep kids safe and allow for criminals to be run out of business? Or do you believe, as I do, that this is 1,000% all about being able to generate tax funds for the government coffers? I don't well, think the government cares about the other stuff, honestly. I think that's a big motive. I think that's that's a great motive. But I think there are a lot of true believers in government who are uh, marijuana enthusiasts who want Our to prime minister <laughs> is one. <laughs> You know, who who want to legitimize their uh, their favorite pastime or one of their top several favorite pastimes. So I, I think there's more than just that at work. I mean, the, the, the reality is we're going to have a lot of money seeking to make more money. And that means we're going to have promotion and we're going to have more Canadians smoking more marijuana than ever before. That I think is absolutely true. And that's the part of it that concerns me is then you use the word endorsed it or sanctioned it by sanctioning it and saying, hey, it's okay. It's safe. It's good. Go ahead and do it. I think there's a lot of people who would otherwise have said, no, I'm not going to do this. Well, to who will say, well, sure, I'll try it. Why not? It's, well, how it, can it hurt me? The government says it's good. It introduces a massive challenge to workplace safety, to road safety. We've been so successful in, in uh, reducing deaths by drunk driving. That's been a huge public health triumph. I think in in reducing incidences of and this drug is now drug. a huge. Uh, well, now we have a question: How do you enforce it? You know, THC stays in a bloodstream for quite some time, so a person may not be high, but may still measure on some scales as being high. People are complaining about backdoor criminalization based on impaired driving standards. Well, how do you find uh, you know how do you find a way to measure it accurately? It's a huge challenge, and the reality is there's going to be impaired people on the road as a result of this. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. In the studio of Pete Dykowski, we're talking about pot, which is ironic since neither of us have ever sampled the product. However, we cannot be called Cheech and Chong here today. However, over the commercial break, you were saying that you have had proximity to it. You were at a concert one time as a young man. Oh, yes. Uh, Early on, close exposure, I was at my first big-time rock and roll concert. The Guess Who, I was in grade 11, it was year 2000, I want to say, at the Pacific Coliseum, I was up in the cheap seats, and the guy right next to me pulls out a giant joint, lights up, and the, the way the 
smoke is wafting. It's right in my face. And yeah, and usually I'm fairly easy going, live and let live. But it was smoke right in my face. So I, you know, I was fairly big at that age. So in my narkiest voice, I asked, is that a marijuana cigarette? And he put <laughs> so it out cool. very quickly. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, no, not going to smoke that anymore. There are a lot of parts about this. And again, my my doctors have shown, studies have shown that kids who are, especially young men under 25, that regular use of pot can affect their brains. If you're over 35, if you're whatever, you know, as you say, live and let live, if you're going to do it anyway, my concern is the, the under 25s whose brains are not fully developed. And all these studies are showing that this does have an effect. It has an irreversible, can have an irreversible long-term effect. That's a problem I have. What's well, a euphoric high, depending on the degree and the uh, particular cultivar or strain you're imbibing in, whether it's the uh, the BC Kush or the OG or the... Wow, for a guy know. who doesn't do it, you know the... T- you know the word. You oh, sure? I've heard of you things. Like, you know. <laughs> so, You've been in a CFL dressing room before. Well, exactly. Or the in the old days, you know, it's uh, since professionalized quite a bit, but, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, in the, the, the parking lot post-game, you'd smell it wafting. But I, I will... Um, I will say it's a euphoric high, so you're overloading all of your receptors, your dopamine receptors, all of these uh, you know, brain-signaling chemicals which affect how we feel, how, how we think. You're overloading it. It's you know, similar to overindulging in just about anything, but it's a very powerful effect, so you need more and more, and then presumably natural stimuli will not have the same effect anymore. And you are on the CFL uh, Players Association still, correct? Yes, that's correct. You're still an executive on there. And in the CFL rules, marijuana is still on the not allowed list, correct? No, no, no. We, we've, um, we've always made sure that we police performance-enhancing drugs, but we don't police recreational drugs. The thinking being that we want to have an enforcement tool to ensure fairness and the integrity of the game. But we don't necessarily want to persecute players for personal choices in their private lives. So we have a very rigorous performance-enhancing drug testing program in the CFL. We have over 500 individual tests per year. And if you consider that we don't have that many players in the league, although it's random, so you're not necessarily guaranteed one test per one player, we have more tests than there are players, and there's many guys who get tested two, three times. I've been tested, I think, three times in one season. Hmm. We've got a great testing program for performance drugs, but not for marijuana. So guys are... Uh, so this won't change anything then for Canadian players or for players in the well, CFL? technically they won't be breaking the law anymore. And that's Well, that's what I mean. But I mean, I, as far as the league stuff, the other question though is we had this week, I believe it was this week, uh, the Canadian government passed a resolution, passed a law, passed something that essentially made it a lot easier for people who had been convicted of uh, crimes relating to homosexuality to be wiped off the, the books, that that was not going to be on your cr- criminal record anymore. Should the same thing happen with people who now have been convicted in the past of drug-related criminal activities because now it's legal? Well, there's there's two arguments there you know one is that now we're saying there's nothing wrong with it so should someone with a criminal record for a simple joint possession in the 80s be barred from uh, things that are open to people who don't have a criminal record so there's that argument the other argument is it was illegal at the time that the crime was committed therefore a crime was committed Uh, you know i have a tough time thinking there should be a lifelong uh you know, impairment on someone's enjoyment of a full life for a very minor offense potentially decades ago. Um, but if we're going to be looking at that, there's a whole host of offenses. Under Mischief. Criminal code there's all kinds of stuff. Fall like, in that same basket. Will and I yesterday on this show were chatting and saying, you know what, there's a whole lot of crimes, quote, quote, crimes that probably should be despecified and you just have first, second and third degree stupid. <laughs> and that can cover all these things. And then, you know what? If you've got a, a conviction of third degree stupid after five years or whatever, it can just it's go expunged. away. And we can just, okay, you've, you've lived, you've carried this around for a while. Uh, we don't really, I mean, it's, it's more complicated. Well, you know, there are people who get things wiped off their records, and it's often people who have the resources to follow through with the process. So, you know, then there's a question of someone's wealth or privilege or access giving a benefit in that case. So, 
Maybe this is an opportunity to do a wholesale reevaluation. Everyone gets off the hook. We all start with a clean slate as of 2019. We'll see. I, that, you know what? That'll be the next election issue. That'll be something that the liberals will come up with next. They'll say, now all those people who had the pot possession stuff, we're gonna, that's going to be your next name. We'll get that off your record. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Pete Dayakowski in studio along with his beautiful daughter, Louise, who is now eating peas in a pod. Party time. Party time. All right. This is going to be a good hour if it's party time. Uh, Let's start here because I know from talking to you over past times you have visited us that you are not only a big Hamilton backer, which is true, uh, but you are also somebody who is probably more up on civic issues than A, a lot of people realize and B, a lot of other people are. Well, I love this city, so I pay attention to it. And also, you, I am calling the Cats to win tonight. I agree I, with you I on that I got them by one. six and a half. I can play, I can play pro line now. So That's true. And, and the, the Cats, by the way, again, Rick Zamper will be on at one with the fifth quarter. The Cats. this is the kind of game they win because whenever you're sure they're going to get blasted because Edmonton is the top team in the league right now, that's when Hamilton wins. Edmonton's a top team. However, um, I recall... Several times when we went out there, and I can say we because I was part of the team back then, when we went out there and laid it on them pretty good. So I don't know what it is, but for some reason, Cats have had some big success at Edmonton. Yeah. In, you know, well, I think quite recent times. So I we'll think see. it's tonight. We'll see. However, you are someone, and you've also um, you've been vocal in the past about traveling to games by bus, about riding the bike, but y- you know the city. So there's a lot of talk in the last few days. The uh, city council yesterday, we- uh, Wednesday maybe, anyway, this week, about the tra- transportation plan, specifically the road plan, and about whether Hamilton should essentially gas what they did decades ago when they went to so many one-way streets. Shouldn't, should Hamilton become like every other city now basically, and get rid of all the one-way streets and go to all two-way streets? Well, it's a huge question. Obviously, there's a, there are a lot of people right now who are looking around and taking the temperature of the times and saying it's history. We're going to go two ways, ever get rid of these one-way streets. I, I think you have to give a lot of weight to the incumbent scenario. You have to give a lot of weight to the status quo because you have to look people have built their lives, built routines, built businesses, around the existing nature of transportation around Hamilton. And some of these uh, two-way conversions make a lot of sense for just about everybody involved. Some of them are no-brainers. We've completed a lot of them uh, with more or less good results in a number of cases, some mixed, more mixed results in some other cases. But the big ones, and these are the ones that everyone you know is focusing on, we're looking at Main Street. Main and King, King yeah. Street. And these are two arterial roadways which carry a massive amount of east-west traffic. And the result and the spillover effect of turning these into two-way thoroughfares is going to be very widely felt. So it's not something that we can take lightly. Maybe we should do a trial like we did the trial with the bus lane. Remember that? I do remember that. Now... One of the things is there's two different results that would come of this as well. There are people who come here and cannot figure out the one-way street system. And there are people who have lived here all their life who, if you switch them all to two-way streets, are going to be completely messed up. When you arrived from BC and you came to Hamilton first, did you have a hard time with the one-way streets? Well, I didn't do a lot of driving at first. I didn't have a car here in town. When I first arrived, I had my bus pass, but my roommate had a car and I borrowed it one day as a... Very, very aged Subaru station wagon, little four-cylinder engine, manual transmission, little, you know, nice little car to drive around. And I took it. We were living in an apartment on King William and Walnut, right downtown. I was actually the superintendent there uh, the year after that. So I, I take off on King William traveling eastbound, and anyone who's familiar knows that Wellington there is a southbound one-way street, and I had to go north somewhere. I forget where I was going. I rapidly forgot a lot of things because I turned left onto Wellington, and I had this five-lane-wide wall of traffic (laughs) coming at me, and just 
by sheer luck, there was a driveway I could dart into <laughs> just as, you know, it seemed like 80 trucks roared by. <laughs> so that was my welcome to driving in Hamilton. It's fun. You know, it's something that sets us apart. You know, the speeds on our streets are constantly identified as an issue that potentially causes uh you know, injury and death for pedestrians who get struck. Uh, I've gone on record saying I think we should reduce the side street limit, uh, the side street speed limit to 40. Um, I think that's quite reasonable. A lot of people advise 35. Now, Main Street is a highway. It's Highway 8. Um, if we slow that down, we reduce the traffic volume. Maybe we should slow it down, but if if we, we slow it down, we reduce the traffic volume or well, build the traffic. Well, volume? no, no, sorry. If we reduce it, we if we slow it down, we reduce the volume it can carry. Mm. So there'll consequently be more traffic. Right. So if we slow it down, there'll be more traffic. If we slow it down and cut the number of lanes in half, we're you know we're going to be having and build an LRT and that is taking well, lanes away. It's I can't see a way out of that that's not going to snarl up the entire downtown and turn us into just a traffic wasteland of idling vehicles and people you know, spending many, many, many hours to get places. Or not even coming downtown at all to avoid it. Hamilton has an advantage. It's a major city that you can still get around. And people have proven, just look at the QEW but through Burlington and Oakville during rush hour. People have a high capacity for sitting in traffic. People will make choices and living decisions that result in them sitting in ridiculous traffic, and they'll volunteer for it. So right now, if you can get across Hamilton in 15 minutes, uh, you have a you know high quality of life compared to someone who's going to spend an hour trying to get across Toronto. If we make it take an hour, a lot of those people will still now be stuck in traffic for an hour. They'll still be doing it. We're going to have these cars on the road. We're going to have these fumes in the air. And we're going to have taken a lot of time away from people. And time is money. So it's a massive tax. So I'm, I am skeptical about the, the benefits for traffic movement of going to two-way on King and Main. I want someone to prove me wrong. I don't think it will result in the number of behavioral changes that we'll need for it to work out. But, I, I, you know, if we keep it one way but we reduce the speed on it a little bit, Maybe that's a way to make it a little bit more pedestrian friendly. The one benefit, uh, I believe, to going two-way, and I, 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 your comments, your points are well taken because I, I agree with you about the fact that we can slow this thing down until it's a giant mess. I, I 100% agree. The one advantage that potentially could come is for people who are not from the city. When I first moved here, and I had grown up in Toronto, when I first moved here, I got to tell you, getting around Hamilton, when you are not familiar with Hamilton very well, can be a nightmare because if you miss your turn and now it's one way street going this way and suddenly now, we just, now I didn't well, have GPS back then. that's one of the things that makes Hamilton special. Well, you, you, know, you visit the city. You we, see the city. There's a huge movement towards standardization in many industries and in government practices and generally it means that we get best practices and what, you know, whatever field you're looking at and that usually means better services, better products but it also means everything gets homogenized mm-hmm. and it gets boring. Hamilton's exciting. When you come here and you've got no idea how to get around, you're going the wrong way. Yeah, I make a point. I'm a very polite driver, but I do make a point if someone goes the wrong way on the one-way street. I love laying on the horn, and I never do because I know it really rattles people. But that's one time when I really like to let loose because I know that person didn't mean to do that. It's a total accident, and I'm not doing it to be mean. I'm doing it to help their experience going the wrong way on Hamilton Street to be more memorable. (laughs) You know what the one thing Hamilton could really do to help people who are not from Hamilton, who are from other parts of Southern Ontario, specifically Toronto, who are moving here? Because we have a lot of people from Toronto moving here now. The one thing Hamilton could do to help those people is move the lake to the south. <laughs> if you are from Toronto, and now some of you listening are from Toronto or have grown up in Toronto or have spent a lot of time in Toronto. If you are from Toronto... I don't care how long. I've now lived in Hamilton for far more than half my life. I still cannot wrap my head around the fact that the lake is north. The lake is south. I grew up with the lake being south. Every time I turn towards the lake, I'm I'm going south. Oh, wait, no, I'm going north. So we should bulldoze down the escarpment, dig it out, fill the lake over Put a big magnet somewhere else to drag the compasses so we're going north. I I don't know how you do it, but it's... um, We do that that in two-way streets and... 
an LRT or a BRT or a BLT or cable cars or whatever we're going to have. I like this BLT you mentioned. Oh, I know. I like the BLT idea. I, I See, we have the LRT coming. If we got the BRT, we could combine it and have, hmm. <laughs> it just sounds delicious. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. There's a story that comes to us from Arizona, and this is something that I think we're going to be dealing with more and more, at least I believe this is going to be the case, a woman who was in a self-driving car as one of the tester vehicles, I guess somehow she got a self-driving car, wasn't really paying attention while she was behind the wheel. Now, she is supposed to be the safety operator in case something goes awry. She instead was streaming a show on Hulu, was not paying any attention to what was going on because it's a self-driving car, uh, tragically, the car plowed into a pedestrian on a bicycle, a guy carrying his bicycle or walking across the street with his bicycle and killed him. And she's now facing charges. But do you have a comfort level around the idea? This story notwithstanding, do you have a comfort level around the idea of self-driving cars? You're talking to a guy who always sets two alarms. <laughs> In the morning, yeah. so that suspenders and a belt. You, that gives you yeah. my level of trust. You know what? It's exciting. I, you know, one imagines all the potential when we get perfect, seamless, self-driving cars, buses, trucks. You know, talking about roadway capacity, uh, we won't need half the roads we we need now because we'll have such smoothly flowing traffic. One imagines, but the real then the reality is. Going towards the implementation of that, we've got people watching Hulu and things that are really only half self-driving. If you're an operator of a motor vehicle, if there's any ability for the user to input control, then you should remain being held to that standard until we get off of that system. But is this not, though, a perfect example of the fact that we, properly or not, appropriately or not, we trust technology? We just accept that the technology more often than not is going to work. This woman, I don't believe she was being malicious. I believe she simply believed wholeheartedly to a high level of confidence, obviously too high a level of confidence, that this self-driving car was indeed a self-driving car and would have no glitches. And I think that if you put more of these on the road, more people will... This is the default position people are going to have. This is a self-driving car. I'm going to read my book. We've got engineering standards. We have transport safety standards. When I get on an airplane or if you're on a helicopter, you're expecting the wings not to fall off. You know, there's a certain level of- You wouldn't go in it if you did Yeah, there's a certain level of trust you have to have in a mechanical device in order to use it. And there's varying degrees of safety that are necessary, you know, starting with a chainsaw that has to have a a, sticker on it, don't stop the blade with your hand. (laughs) You know, when we get on an That's airplane, true. we expect it to not disintegrate midair. And if you look at the rigorous quality control that goes in airplane manufacture, the you know the level of legislation that governs every aspect of the aerospace industry and the uh, air transport industry, you know that is what you have to have to have a seamless, uh, functioning, safe system that moves people around. It's very complicated moving people around. We're in a three-dimensional environment with a lot of variables, and these computer-controlled cars have to interact with humans. And yet, humans though, Pete, and yet unpredictable. a month ago, two months ago, a woman was sucked out the window of a plane because there was a failure oh. in the design or something else. So it's it's a one in a million. I mean, I'm not arguing that air travel is unsafe. It's very safe, but but it still can happen. And when you're talking about self-driving cars, I think that if we start putting self-driving cars on the road by their name, by the definition of what the name is, people are going to say, I can fiddle around on my internet. I can watch something. I can read something. I don't have to pay attention. And this is going to be a more common thing, I believe, than we expect. Well, you know, we're not ready for it. And driving while distracted is becoming, or it's already become the biggest danger on the road. And now you have drivers who are, oh, no. Hold on a second, everybody. Yep, we Louise is having trouble getting yes, back we, up into her We chair. have a slight injury, but I think we're going to survive. There we go. Back towards the snack bar. Yeah, she's got some Pete's, uh, uh, if you hadn't heard, if you're just joining us, Pete's 20-month-old daughter, Louise, is joining us tonight, and she's doing a great job contributing now and then. 
Right now, though, she is uh, slightly concussed after hitting her head <laughs> on, the ta- on the studio table here, on the studio desk. But she's really enjoying the studio. There's a lot of things that you can explore. There are the swivel chairs, the microphones, the... There's some buttons. I don't even know if we're actually on the air right now. Well, she we have... lost the bike earlier. I think she was down there pushing some buttons. Anyways, yeah, back to the self-driving cars. I mean, we have a huge problem right now with distracted driving, and yep. there's a massive push by the police to get that under control, and it's got to be a effort equivalent or greater even than our effort to get drunk drivers off the road, which came up in our earlier conversation now about our other uh, impaired driving issue that we're uh, puffing right into. But the issue of these self-driving cars, they still must have engaged operators. Until we have a completely self-driving infrastructure where these self-driving cars are interacting with other self-driving cars and communicating with the entire traffic stream, you can't have a disengaged operator. But does this not actually make it more difficult to be that? Because, and the reason I say that, if you have a car that is supposedly driving itself, but you're the emergency override in case something goes wrong, let me take it to a football context. If you are not playing, or if you're a sub in a game, if you're a backup in a game, and the guy who's in front of you is playing really well, you can say that you're really paying attention to every single No, you single still got to be 100% committed, locked into the game, and, uh, and ready, uh, yes, and sir, coach, to get into the action. And are you every single play? Probably some plays you're watching something else. Or I can imagine that there are some people who found themselves in that situation who might not be fully engaged. Me, personally, if there are any CFL coaches or personnel <laughs> staff listening to the show... I can guarantee you that I would be 100% committed and focused to staying completely immersed in the activity on the field to ensure that I would be ready to step in at any moment. <laughs> the resume is available at PeteDiakowski.com if you wish it. for. But no, it's Download in PDF or Microsoft Word. If you are sitting behind the wheel of a car, not driving for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, because the self-driving car is looking after things, and suddenly, for whatever reason, it doesn't work, I just don't imagine everybody is going to have their hands ready to grab the wheel, their feet ready to press the pedals. There's going to be no. They won't be. And so this woman, when she hits a guy walking his bike across the street, even if she had been fully watching this, the only answer is they have to get better, and so. The operators can't use a little disclaimer that the manufacturers rather can't use a little disclaimer sticker saying that the operator's responsible is they get out of jail free. Whoever built that car, I don't know who was it a Tesla. I don't or, know. Uh, whoever built that car has to be held responsible, even if the driver, him or herself, is prosecuted separately. The manufacturer of any quote unquote self driving car or autopilot assisted car that's involved in an accident has to be held liable because that is the only way to force these giant corporations to value the outcome of perfect operations and no injuries or deaths. Otherwise, they'll make calculations. If it costs a billion dollars a year for R&D to get it you know, pretty good or $10 billion of R&D to get it seamless or near perfect, well, they'll make a business decision. So you have to make that business decision for them. You have to impose. That's the job of government to, well, no, there's many jobs of government. We don't want to get into it's one of the jo- that whole theory. But one of the jobs that we've said is a job of government as a society is setting standards for businesses to operate within. So, uh, you know, I think government has to say that they're going to force manufacturers to be perfect. Got a t- uh, tweet, by the way, uh, Ron writing and saying, listening to Peter talk about civic issues, uh, one wonders if he's thinking about running for council. Oh, I think a uh, football field is about as violent and unfriendly a place as I can handle. <laughs> there you go. Uh, just while we're talking about airplanes for a second, I want to switch tact for just one little bit here because you are a big man. Uh, you're a tall man. You're a large man. You're at your, what's, what's your playing weight? About 280? Well, I'm actually uh, smaller than I usually am. No, my playing weight's like 320, 325. Oh, really? Okay. And I'm down about 30 pounds from them, 295, moving faster than ever, great lateral speed. I've really noticed it myself during all my training and <laughs> drills. But I've I've cut down a bit, so I'm about 295 right now, which is very light for me. So for uh, this is a question that I would like to ask someone of your size. I'm, I'm tall as well, 6'4", 6'5". 
Is it fair to say that six, if... Six, six in the program. Yeah, that's right. Six. Yeah, if I'm an NBA player, I'd be six nine. That's what they, <laughs> I would tell people, or a wrestler. If you, if it, not you, if someone, you, the general you, if you get on a plane and immediately recline your seat, oh, are you not an you're evil, a terrible, evil person? You are a terrible person if you recline your seat in front of someone else. See, I'm airplane. with you on that. I think that that is that puts you in the category of one of the two or three highest percentage of horrible human beings on the planet. You're if up you there are with these, like Genghis Khan. If you're a seat recliner, he killed a lot of people. Yeah, yeah but you know, seat rec- reclination has also probably killed some people. Killed my if knees. If Genghis Khan were around here today, and if he was like an, you know, Air Canada elite flyer, hundred thousand kilometers, away, he would be jamming his seat back as far as it goes into <laughs> everyone's knees. Is it not the single most annoying thing though? And it's always, first of all, again, as it's a always tall a tiny guy, person. And that's, it's always a this tiny person. This is like person. Louise in five years, just reclining your seat back. And it's always, and if there's going to be one person on the plane who is going to do the full recline, it's going to be a tiny person, and it's always going to be in front of the tallest person on the plane. And they pretend like they're not aware you exist. Oh, a slow, a slow. Well, you know what? I thought that was the case. I thought it was going to be the slow, subtle recline last time we were on the plane. This guy flung it back. Kapow! So that, I, well, I the almost, other one is they wait till you go to the bathroom. And then while you're gone, magically, they don't know how it happened. The seat goes back. The seat goes back. Uh, my personal favorite from this last trip that we were on was uh, the guy was had gone into full recline, so I was now in a, almost a birthing position for most <laughs> of the flight. And when the dinner came around, because it was a long flight, we all had to bring our seats back up to full upright position for the trays. But when they came to collect the, the trays after you're done, they were coming from front to back, so his was taken a moment before mine was. But as soon as his was gone, bam, blam, now my whole tray comes back into my lap. And it's like, dude, come on. You're five What feet. do we have air marshals for? <laughs> Should we allow the air marshal to wrestle the person to the ground to push their seat back up? I don't know. But look, if you, I'm with you. If you recline your seat, especially on a long haul flight, you probably are guilty of many other crimes and are one of the worst human beings on the planet. Oh, I, I would imagine that that individual has many, many, many books overdue at the library, <laughs> probably parked Parking in tickets. handicapped spaces. <laughs> you know, this is the sort of person who walks his dog without a leash and doesn't pick up after it. Yes, or picks it up and then drops it on the neighbor's lawn. Why do they do that? <laughs> How is that? A th- what's the point of even putting it in a bag at that point? That's a different, we'll save that one. Well, the other, the other, or they're the dog walker. We're going through the whole list of bad people here. They're the dog walker whose dog does the squat, lets it go, and then they quickly look around to see if anyone's watching, and they think no one is, so they just scamper and leave the, uh, leave the treat. Well, they got a flight to catch. Well, maybe. Now, uh, if you're flying with a CFL team, would anybody dare recline the seat into another player? Well, if it's a late night flight, like if it's a charter back from a game, everyone's sleeping, that's when it's appropriate to recline because everyone's in a sleeping position. So you so everybody's going back. Or if you have a rookie behind you. <laughs> okay. No matter how big he is? Oh, yeah. No matter no matter how big he is. It probably in spite of how, or probably because of how big he is. Let's make it as horrible for him as possible. Usually. What if you're injured? What if you're coming? Um, what, how do you, if you get an injury in a game, honestly, if you get an injury in a game and you've got to fly home and it's not a concussion or something where you can't fly, do you get special treatment on the plane if you're with your team? Do you get a bulkhead seat? Do they do something for yeah, you? Yeah, I know they'll they'll try to put you in the best situation possible, but it's brutal no matter what. I mean, if you've if you're flying back with a broken bone or a torn ligament, I mean, I flew back from the Grey Cup in Regina with a ruptured patellar tendon and my kneecap held in place by tape to keep it from sliding back up my leg. I mean, that was one, that was the worst flight of my life. Which is how long? About four hours? Five hours? I felt like 10. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Which is the best and which is the worst visitor's dressing room in the CFL? You know, that used to be a really fun game to play. But now all the stadiums are new but and the same? But now everything's really nice. Okay, leaving aside all the new stuff, in your experience, which was the worst visitor's dressing room you had? Well, first I'll say now, today, it's probably Calgary with Montreal a close second. Uh, Calgary, given the age and the, it's not bad actually in terms of space, but it's a, it's pretty dated. It's the, 
university visitors locker room at McMahon Stadium as well. In Montreal, we use the uh, women's soccer team locker room, and it's not made for a big football team. So it's a little cozy. It's wedged under the stands. Now, if you want to go back in time, not not very long, just a few years ago, the list becomes, you know, much more interesting and, you know, to uh, our credit, as a unique city that's, you know, it was less homogenous with the rest of Canada back then, Hamilton stood out <laughs> far, far <laughs> below all the others as the worst visitor's locker room. Intentionally? In well, no one tried very hard to maintain their visitor's locker rooms. And that was, I, I think, an, an informal competition between stadium staffs is, who could let their visitors' locker room fall into a worse state of disrepair, <laughs> but still somehow meet the league's threshold of requirements for what had to be provided to the visitors' room? So, Hamilton, the visitor shower, I never had to use it. I never. I, but I've you only, poked your head in there. Before. Oh yeah, of course. And you know, you, sometimes during practice, you could use it to go to the washroom, uh, in the toilet that opened Not directly on the field. Not the shower. <laughs> no, the shower filled up very rapidly because it drained at about the pace of a clogged uh, bathroom sink. <laughs> So the first couple guys in could, you know, be satisfied that their feet were clean. You know, the punter and the long snapper. Everyone else was ankle deep in the Other shower guys, juice dirty of water. everyone else. And it was just terrible. Mommy. Oh, mommy's getting a special shout on the radio. Who do you want? This is Pete's daughter, Louise, by the way, in case you're wondering, who Louise, is that voice what, and why is Pete talking to her? What does a bear say? What does a tiger say? Tiger. What does a horsey say? Oh, wow. Very good. What does a donkey say? Yeah. <laughs> All right. But yeah, back to it. Hamilton was terrible. You know, and the air conditioning is non-existent in the summertime heat and the humidity. That was really important to make it terrible. Winnipeg's were pretty awful and they didn't look that bad. But the showers had one temperature, scalding. <laughs> it was, they, they had these stainless steel walls in the shower. It felt like you were in prison. Scalding water. I'd actually bring a hose in that we used to fill up the water, uh, the water jugs. I'd bring it in from the bathroom and just hose myself down with cold water and just use the scalding water for a brief pre-rinse. <laughs> Saskatchewan's were terrible. So I, I and I've got to benefit from these brand new stadiums. I got to open Tim Hortons Field. I got to open the new Mosaic Stadium. I got to be a visitor in the new Tim Hortons Field visitor locker rooms, which are terrific. Mm -hmm. But the old Saskatchewan locker rooms were brutal. And somehow, some plumbing genius had designed the shower hot and cold water supply to somehow oscillate in pressure in uneven intervals so you would get scalding hot and freezing cold <laughs> in unpredictable increments. So you couldn't even get into a rhythm where you would stay in the stream and get out of the stream, stay in the stream. It would just seesaw. For one minute it would be, you, you'd think you had it just right, and then all of a sudden it would burn your skin off. <laughs> I've just got this image in my mind of 315-pound linemen shrieking like oh, yes, at the so top of their lungs when you're burning. Place here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Edmonton's, uh, they've always been okay. Uh, BC, fantastic. Best visitor locker rooms in the league still because they're huge. BC Play mm. Stadium has cavernous locker rooms. They're huge, massive showers. The entire team could shower at the same time. I just remember reading a, a piece when Doug Brown, who used to play for Winnipeg, people remember Doug Brown, played for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and he was also, he wrote a column for the Winnipeg newspaper and wrote about Ivor Wynn one time in the visitor's dressing room. And the one thing that always stands out is he said it had just an overwhelming stench of urine. <laughs> and I was like, well... That's it's unpleasant. Baked into the cement. It's but that's unpleasant, but who uses it? Like, it's not you guys going in and peeing on the walls to make it smell bad. It's the visitors who are making their own dressing room stink, isn't well, it? I know like some of the guys who've played for the cats over the years, I think some of them... <laughs> some may have done a little bit of interior decorating for the visitors. Are you looking for mommy? Mommy is getting a shout out on the radio. Yeah, mommy's, mommy's getting some love here. Yeah, I, uh, the other thing about the Ticats old at Iverwind Stadium, Ticats old visitor's dressing room, which, as you say, thankfully you didn't have to use. Uh, I remember going in there to do a few interviews after games late in the season, and as toasty and humid as it was in the summer. Oh, freezing cold. You go in there to take your clothes off to go for a shower, and uh, you're not standing there too long with nothing on. Cause oh, yeah. 
Now, I'll say the new Toronto locker room, great. No complaints there. The old Rogers Centre Skydome locker room, not bad, but kind of cozy for a football team. More built for a visiting baseball team. Montreal's Olympic Stadium visitor's locker room, really neat. Because it was built for an MLB visitor team. An MLB visiting team, but for some reason to a much better standard than the Skydome one. And it was fantastic. So that was really neat. We got to play there in 2011 for the East semifinal. You know, it's kind of almost sad that all that character is now gone and it's just a bunch of nice visitors dressed Oh, they're all the same. Just like these, you know, indistinguishable two-way streets. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 DHML.